Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Finding Backcountry Podcast with the podcast with no consistency. You never know when we're going <laughs> to release <Yeah. laughs> release another episode so thanks for randomly tuning in to our random episodes (laughs) oh man someday someday i'm gonna uh follow up with my word and get consistent again but man hunting season i feel like if anything is a pass right because we just uh geez man like just the last couple weeks has been crazy and preparing for a hunt and going on a hunt and coming back and so Anyway, big, just, chief, big chief whack of bucks just been on you right now. He's making you feel bad. Yeah. You know, when he puts out his own podcast consistently, then he can say something. So. <laughs> love you, dog. I love you, Henry. <laughs> um, no, I uh, just wanted to jump on here. Kind of got back after a long, long, crazy week. Uh, and the dust has kind of settled. Corey and I are back up in Wyoming, you know, working the regular nine to five, so to speak. And we're, uh, just wanted to jump on and, and give a, give a little recap and maybe add a couple valuable things that we learned from these last week of hunts and talk about some of, uh, some of the successes we had and, and, uh, just go from there. But so, yeah. yeah it, thank, thanks for having me on, man. By yeah. the way, did you see Henry's, uh, you see that mule deer he slammed? I did. Tall did and tall heavy, and narrow. Yeah. Heavy. Yeah. Tall buck score, man. Yep. High and tight, man. Um, yeah. yeah. Ton of mass. So, uh, yeah, I got, got Corey on again. Um, you know, it's funny, like we lit, we work together kind of and in the same building usually. And, um we live, we live far enough apart though, that we're still doing this over the phone. (laughs) Yeah. I got a, I got a 10 month old daughter that it just, I can't live quite the way I used to. And, uh, yeah, this is, we got meat to cut up and we just got back from a hunt. My wife's birthday was yesterday. And so I told Dustin, I could peel, peel an hour if I needed to and hop on and talk about, uh, a fun little week we had. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's jump into it. Um, you know, as everyone that's listened was, was aware, um, I was the lucky, uh, SOB, uh, that drew the Utah Western conservation hunting expo, non-resident Wasatch moose tag at the five dollar um <laughs> still crazy to say that uh the five dollar application uh raffle deal which again i'll say again little disclaimer that's a five dollar right to buy the fifteen hundred dollar moose tag. 
<laughs> for anyone that's wondering it's not a it's not a five dollar moose tag um you know and anyway so you know that's that's kind of been priority one uh this fall and then we i think in the last couple episodes we talked about you know that uh man just the luck of picking up a couple extra tags down in in colorado and i mean not a unit that we'd been into you know and it was we really didn't know what we were getting into there. Right. I mean, that was just kind of a random, like, you know, we just, we kind of just threw a dart um, at a unit that, you know, we had just seen looked, you know, looked good backcountry type deal. Um, it's, it's that unit's been kind of on our radar for the last three or four years. And we've talked about it. And it's funny because we, Dustin and I always go back and forth. He's kind of a, turned into a mule deer guy unfortunately over the last couple of years and uh i'm always wanting to chase elk when possible and i don't know if we've like just never had the conversation or thought about it or just not put the puzzle pieces together but like yeah we a unit came up with leftovers and it's like hey you could hunt this for mule deer and i could hunt for the bigger better elk and <laughs> we uh yeah we got lucky picked up a few that probably shouldn't have been able to get any chance that you had of swaying me back to an elk hunter legit ended when you found and helped me kill the biggest mule deer in my life um, well i kind of thought you'd get it out of your system and we could go back no, to hunt elk. no no uh in fact i've got a wyoming elk tag that i'm putting on the back burner this next weekend uh to go <laughs> mule deer probably in wyoming on a general deck <laughs> so I've uh, now I've really got a problem, but, uh, so that, that kind of sets the stage. I mean, this, the, the problem was the moose hunt opened the 12th of September and, you know, thinking back, I'm not quite sure what we were planning here thinking the fact that we pulled this off and we went two for three is incredible. But, um, the, so the moose hunt started the 12th, goes clear till October 15th, but it's like, you know, if you're going to kill a, a better moose, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not a moose caller. Like I'd rather just get there opening weekend and just get it over with. And the problem with that was these, you know, if you're familiar with the dates on the Colorado muzzy and elk hunts, they're typically like the same, they open the same day, the 12th and they go to like the 20th, you know, whatever that is, nine, eight or nine, nine days of hunting. <clears throat> And so we had a little decision to make, um, you know, there was, there was an area and a moose that we had kind of committed to hunting, um, you know, that a, a good friend had kind of scouted for me and it just became apparent that, you know, we needed to give priority to that moose hunt. Um, another little wrench, so, so we, you know, we show up, uh, for, you know, we left, what day did we leave Corey Thursday night? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had kind of made that decision that we needed to chase the moose cause we had gone back and forth and we're like, Oh, we'll just go shoot a moose, you know, beginning of October. And we, uh, we kind of made the decision and, you know, like Dustin and I seem to have a good, do a good job with, we constantly are switching and punting and oh let's do this let's do that and so we ended up you know i had to kind of extend my hunt a little bit when we figured out 
hey, we got to chase this moose. We want to get in there a day early. Um, fortunately, work was uh, work was willing to work with us, and so we we took off Thursday night right after work. Yeah, and shout out to Kendall Card. He let us. Uh, we drove through the night, and he offered us up a a spot to crash Thursday night, so we could get in there Friday, which was a huge help. Yeah. Um. Uh, what was I gonna say? Oh. You know, and then, you know, the other piece of that too, uh, speaking of work is, you know, where we work, it's like, we didn't originally have any plans to film this, um, but we kind of last minute threw together, we found a, uh, you know, a camera guy, um, Dan, the man, Dan, the cameraman, uh, he was awesome, awesome, transient, uh, what is it? Transient outdoors or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm butchering that probably, but. I'll tag no, it. I think you're spot on. Transient outdoors. I'll uh, I'll tag it in the in the footnotes. But uh, met up with Dan. He's from up here, around here. Clearly spent some time on some hunts, filming, uh, f- uh, photographing. Does some other uh, filming and stuff. But just obviously knows his way around a camera. I'm gonna try to get him on for um, kind of a follow up to this episode and just dive into. Uh, geek out on camera gear and lenses and you know that kind of come at it from that angle but um through through that together last minute for the moose hunt so that really made it serious you know we needed to take that moose hunt serious not that you wouldn't take a once in a lifetime moose hunt serious but you know when you've got a whole month to hunt it and they typically rut a little bit later towards October and you know originally it was like well if it gets pushed back it gets pushed back so we didn't have any anything tying us to it but we rounded up a camera guy kind of knew where some moose were, I think. And so, you know, we committed to that. So, you know, originally we had, uh, that first, you know, at least three or four days, uh, set aside anyway. Um, and then we're going to bomb down and hunt the last, you know, three to five, four to six days of that, uh, Colorado tag kind of on the same trip. The only, and it worked perfectly. The only wrench that got thrown in there is something that you can never, uh, plan for. And, uh, my grandpa passed away, um, kind of the, the weekend, the week weekend or whatever it was that maybe the 10th. So he, he passed away, um, a couple of days before that moose hunt, uh, started. And so, you know, you never know, I wasn't there or whatever, but you never know when the funeral is going to end up. Well, they ended up putting it on wednesday so that'd be the wednesday after the hunt started on a saturday it'd be the following wednesday so kind of right in the middle of the whole deal which which was okay other than you know so anyway that that kind of sets the stage so we've got this moose hunt for you know three to four days we've got i've got a funeral that i've got to get to uh, and then we've got this this colorado muzzleloader uh you know two tag deal and if you're not familiar with geography, um, those are not all in the same place. So <laughs> you've got a moose hunt up in the Wasatch unit in Utah, northern Utah. Then I've got a funeral in southern Nevada, almost as southern Nevada as you can get. And then Colorado's an entire state away. Um, we so, got nine days to do it and we got nine days to do it so uh figure it out and saddle up so 
um, that kind of sets the stage, you know, for what we kind of how this was going to go. We weren't exactly sure how the transition from the moose, you know, that transition in the middle with the funeral is going to work out. You know, of course, I'm going to be at my grandpa's funeral. I was also asked to just give a short talk. Uh, not surprisingly, they wanted me to tell some hunting stories about grandpa, um, which maybe I'll, I'll end with uh, just in honor of, of grandpa Whitwer um, on this podcast. But so I, I was going to be there. You know, that wasn't a question. But um, yeah, so, you know, like we always joke, like you can't have too many tags. Man, we we sh- you can have too many tags in the same time. Um, that <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, but I feel like you know another valuable thing I think with the scheduling of all that to to mention, uh, you know, and 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 Corey and I, you and I were on the same page with this was this Colorado deal. We we'd never been there. I did scout it uh, one time in the summer just to kind of more to orient myself with roads and trailheads and stuff like that. I, you know, I hiked in and saw a couple decent bucks or whatever, and, a, and even a, a bull that you probably would have shot. Um, but this was still just as easy as these tags were to get. This was just kind of, we, we chalked it almost up to a scouting season hunt. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I think that's valuable. You know, I think as, as hunters, we get, we lose track of how much time uh, we can have, especially on, on that type of a hunt to, you know, to get to know a unit. And, you know, we feel like a three or four day hunt, which is what it kind of turned out to be really is not worth our time. But it's like, if you think about this over a, you know, over a five year span or whatever, um, would you agree? I mean, that, that Colorado hunt turned into, a very valuable, regardless of what was killed. I mean, it was a very valuable three or four days, you know, if nothing else for next year. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about that Revic Exo site that, uh, Gunworks and Revic had come out with and, you know, that really got released and we really got to play with it hands-on June, July post when we could have applied for Colorado and, um, you had actually drawn a different Colorado tag at that point. And we, we had talked about this being a unit that we had considered being, Hey, I'll grab an elk tag. You grab a mule deer tag, which I want to dive into that little subject a little later. But, um, when those came up on the leftover list, we're like, huh, that, you know, we wanted to do this a year out. Why don't we just see if we can scrap this together? you know, like you said, treat it like a scouting trip. And I mean, the val- the value of the info you get in season is a whole different thing than going in July or August, right? you know, a couple months before the hunt. And it, you know, next year, if we do decide to go back into that unit, which I imagine you'll want to, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, uh, you know, the, the info we got there was just, you know, you can't get that any other way than just being in there in September. Man, that's such a good point. Um, you know, I've, I've known of, or talked to guys, uh, or heard of guys that, you know, they have their eye on say a limited entry Utah tag, elk elk tag or something, right. Something that takes a few years, at least, if not more to draw, and they tell me about, 
you know, I, I, I think even Robbie Denning maybe has mentioned this, but going and, and scouting a unit during the hunt in a year that you don't even have a tag. Now that sounds like, well, yeah, that's not that big a deal, but I'm telling you, like I've thought about doing it a lot of times and the thought right now in the middle of hunting season of just going and spending a weekend in a hunting unit that I don't even have a tag for is like, there's no way, right? It just doesn't even hardly like, there's no way I'm going to pull that off. Um, but yeah, that, you know, if you can go in with a tag in your pocket or whatever, um, and, and like you said, like see it during the hunt because you're right completely, we almost get this skewed perception of how a hunt's going to go or how you think it should go, um, from scouting trips. And then we're, we're almost always like let down when you get in there and it's like, oh yeah, like, of course there's a guy on this ridge and a guy on that ridge and a camp down here and a camp over at that lake or whatever. Um, you know, and we kind of get jaded to like, you know, what actually happens during a hunt and how the, how the animals respond to pressure, um, and where they're going to be and what they're going to be doing. So yeah, that's a good point, man. Just like, you know, not just a scouting trip, but like a scouting trip during the season to see how that unit plays, plays, you know, to kind of see how it plays during a hunt. That's super valuable. Yeah, no, I think, and the, you know, how the animals are acting that season, which, you know, especially with elk and a little bit with mule deer, which we saw, um, they just seeing how they're acting that time of year gives you a good baseline. And then you, you can't scout hunting pressure. You know, you can read forums, you can guess, um, based on previous units, previous knowledge and this and that, and, you know, dust, Dustin went in there and must've been August, uh, right away, found bulls, found deer, you know, the whole nine yards. And, um, I showed up to the trailhead and, you know, there was, there was a lot of hunting pressure and we got to see all the angles that the hunting pressure were coming from. There was drop camps in there. There was this, that, and other 100%. If we go back into that unit next year, we'll, we'll take a different approach than we did this year, just because we know, we know what the hunting pressure looks like. Yeah. And you would never get that if you went in August. Yeah. Yeah. So, so true. And then, you know, like you had mentioned too, this was, uh, it, it really was a, um, you know, a, a chance to get out and see what that open site Revic, you know, could really do. And, um, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but like a 150 yard shot on a mule deer is just a chip shot, you know, with that, with that rifle and that, and that sight system. So anyway, um, all that being said, I mean, let's, let's kind of back up now that like the, I mean, the, the, the stage is set here for kind of what our mindset was and why we were where we were and what we were doing. Um, so let's, let's talk that moose hunt. Is that your, that was your first time hunting a moose, right? Yep. Never, uh, I've been around them a lot. They're living in Utah for seven years. Um, you know, kind of, kind of had a little bit of a baseline, like could tell like, oh, that's, you know, a little raghorn version of a moose. Mm. That's a good moose. And then I, I think I can, there's probably two moose I've seen uh, in that country where I'm like, okay, that looks like a big moose, but didn't know scoring, didn't know what, you know, 
this, that, and the other, hadn't really looked past like, oh uh, yeah, that, that, that one's bigger than other ones I've seen. Um, you know, and because I didn't think I'd ever get to hunt them. Yeah. And you know, my experience with moose spending a little less time in that type, in that country down there, uh, in that unit was you, it was just something you'd randomly see right off the trail almost, you know, uh, moose are not hard to find, uh, in that unit, I don't think. And so, you know, you almost picture that you're going to end up shooting one right off of a, a main trailhead or something. And good thing we didn't because the amount of, how do I put this non hunting granolas, um, in that general area was high. It was very high. We were definitely outnumbered. Um, you know, (laughs) so, you know, just, just jumping into the story and that's, that's all part of it. But, um, like Corey said, I mean, we, we moose hunt opens on the, on the Saturday, the 12th, um, got down there. My brother had been using my gun, uh, on a loaner. And so I needed to get that gun revalidate, just recheck my zero. Um, and so we, that Friday morning, we woke up, bombed down to a, we'll call it a local shooting range. It's an area that is open to shooting for the public. Um, <laughs> and it's a shooting range. It's a shooting range. Sure. Um, Corey came up with a very genius, uh, makeshift target cause we did not come prepared out of a styrofoam, uh, like, you know, to go box basically that you'd get at a restaurant. And, uh, if you can imagine this, we'll have to post a picture, but used a, a splotch of nacho. Was it nacho cheese? Uh, it was Chipotle ranch. I believe That's that right. was your favorite. Spicy, the, the spicy Chipotle <laughs> ranch. Patent um, pending. Patent pending, you know, dabbed, dabbed a little circle of it on a blue uh, shop towel napkin and then Jimmy <laughs> two <laughs> sticks or bullets to hold the <laughs> napkin on the on the styrofoam <laughs> lid and then you picture like hoisted the styrofoam lid up so it's you know it's half open so <laughs> I mean I'm not hey, gonna lie. You weren't com- you weren't coming up with anything better. I shot one. We picked the- it up. I don't wanna we didn't leave any range trash, but we it didn't. was uh you shot a good group. It was I shot a good one target. of the one of the better groups that I've ever shot at a hundred, and it turns the best part about that target is it turns into a better group because eventually the the sauce just kind of melts down <laughs> <laughs> over all yeah. the holes and turns into one hole. Um Oh man, how janky, but, uh, it, it worked. It worked. We got, we bumped zero, got zero set. Uh, you know, and then at that point it was, you know, with the systems that, that we're running there, uh, G seven range finder, uh, ballistic, you know, it, honestly, you know, this is, this is a side note to some long range, uh, ballistic turret type stuff, but you know, my turret on that gun running a seven SOM, is cut for, uh, you know, meaning all the ballistic, you know, you take all your ballistic data, the velocity, the ballistic coefficient, your sight height, zero range, and then you even take a, you know, an elevation and a temperature. We usually just use a generic like 5,000 and 5,000 feet, 50 degrees, because we can plug it into the range finder and then it will calibrate 
you know, that moose hunt, we're probably close to 9,000 feet or whatever. And, and the range finder will calibrate, uh, off of that 5,000 foot turret. But my turret was cut for a very specific 180 grain, uh, Hornady bullet. And I really wanted to use, uh, see what this 168, uh, burger VLD hunting would do. And so the nice thing about the reason I was able to pull that off is our, you know, our turrets, we etch with an MOA reference mark across the base, almost as like a backup, or in this case, you know, it was a completely different reference mark that I can use, you know, and set up a different bullet in the range finding pro in the range finder profile and have it just give me corrections back in MOA completely disregard the yardage you know you you better or else you might get in trouble but completely dif- disregard the yardage that's burned on the turret and just reference the moa across the base it's a pretty slick system you know to have options there so anyway wanted to run the the 168s out of that uh 22 inch carbon running around uh 2945 i think is what i had them at and so we popped that in the range finder after zeroing them and took off. Um, Center, we we validated zero, which I think we had a minute and a half of winded shift. And then we did shoot it at 800. And Dustin painted a little half minute group at 800. And we're like, well, that, that should do. Should do on a moose. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We did validate at distance. Always a good idea. Um so, yeah, so then, you know, we were hiking in that night, um, three or four miles, uh, into a nasty little pocket, um, you know, just like, a, like I kind of said earlier, you picture a Wasatch moose hunt, like you're just going to tip one off a trail, um, you know, in your hiking shoot, in your, you know, in your hiking sandals or whatever, but like we, we were in there, um, in a little, just a little hole uh you know where we had we'd got some intel on these bulls so uh well and let me let me uh back that up if guys have heard of the wasatch front it's it's the same country for um anybody with an archery elk or deer tag you can basically hunt that area for four months because it's archery only it's right outside of salt lake you have a lot of granola pressure you have a lot of hikers you have a lot of you know people coming from both sides um for the once in a lifetime tags they'll actually let you bring a firearm in so while some of these people are around some hunters carrying around bows um there's 35 moose tags a year in this area but the area is like 20 times bigger than this wasatch front and so guys aren't used to seeing rifles strapped to your pack at, a, at all. And I, you know, I've hunted there for, you know, on and off a little bit there for seven years. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody in there with a rifle. Yeah. And bows, you know, archery in general, um, you know, obviously if you're decked in camouflage with your face painted, um, you know, that's, that's gives a certain uh, stigma or whatever, but uh archery in general in in even in the non-hunting world is almost cool and hip right now you know and so it just doesn't come thanks joe rogan thanks joe rogan it just doesn't come across um the same you're just not going to get the same 
uh, feeling or look uh, from people who don't hunt or maybe don't approve of hunting just because you're packing a bow as you do with a rifle. And we, we got some looks, we got a few comments on the trail. Uh, you know, just, we were outnumbered. It was, you know, it was like a, it was a full combat, so to speak, uh, hunting situation, you know, and I'm sure similar situation in the, you know, the great, like just outside of the bigger, uh, Colorado areas, uh, trailheads in Colorado where there's a bunch of 14ers that, you know, granoles and hikers and, you know, my, my best advice there is like, we, I mean, we have nothing to apologize for. And yet like, you're just trying to be respectful and, and put on a good face for, for the hunting community. They, Um, they view the hunting community as the two or 5% of guys that honestly, the hunting community hate more than than they do. They do. You know, and it, uh, yeah, we, we try to be very cordial. There's a couple people that, you know, we weren't going to change their mind in five minutes and we didn't try, but, you know, we try to be friendly, cordial, um, and, you know, accepting it's public land. They're allowed to be there just like us. And, and, and that being said to give to a lot of them credit, you know, we, we had a lot of conversations with people who I would almost bet my life have never hunted before ever. Um, and they were completely fine with it. They, they were excited. They asked us what we were hunting. Oh, that's cool. Like, Oh, you know, they're excited about us getting the meat and, you know, like super cool. And, you know, and you gotta, you gotta, uh, you gotta think it's from, you know, the guys like Joe Rogan and, um, these guys who are, you know, you got guys like Don, John Trump Jr. You know, that just killed the bull with his bow or whatever. And so, you know, hopefully there's, enough of that percentage of those people that still, you know, even though they don't participate in it, they still understand it um, and, and are okay with it. Cause that's, that's where we'll lose it. You know, that that's where we'll screw ourselves is if, if, if that middle, you know, 50, 60% of that group that's still okay with it decides, you know, they come across someone on the trail that, you know, whatever, like isn't respectful or, or, you know, treats them poorly or whatever, that's how we're going to lose, um, in that situation, I think. But So there we are hiking in. So there Wasatch we are front hiking in Friday <clears throat> guns dialed packs on her back. There's four of us at that point. Your brother-in-law showed up. Yeah. Me, you, Dan, and uh, my brother-in-law, Josh. Um, and so get in there kind of, uh, weren't, uh, you know, moose are big, but that, if you've been on that mountain, it is, it can get tight and thick in places, uh, really thick. And this particular Canyon was, was exactly that it was pretty tight. Um, but it was thick. And so we glassed, we kind of split up that, that night, very windy. Um, and we glassed and turned up a, like a cow moose, um, so hopes weren't like super high that anything was going to happen the next morning. Um, but, uh, you know, slept it off, woke up the next morning. Um, and same deal kind of went, you know, it, it, when you, when you've got a canyon like that, that's, that's super thick with trees and, you know, we're on one side and we're kind of glassing across the mountainside on the other side. And it was, uh, there's only so many glassing points you know, it's like, you're, you're basically going to be 
right here, right here, or right here. And it's all on the same ridge, just a little bit further down. And so um, at that point, you know, and I, and I think I even said something like, I was expecting this to be a three and a half or four day or whatever, um, monotonous, boring grind, you know, windy, 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 dry, hot, like almost like, almost like sitting in a tree stand or a ground blind type of a deal where it's like, you just have to, we're just going to have to wake up every day, walk the quarter mile or whatever to this glass, same glassing point, um, and probably not see much uh and just grind it out because you know there's <laughs> you're looking across this canyon and it's you know there's just only so many little pockets of openings um where these you know th- there was one decent size uh ridge on the back on the on the far north side that was pretty exposed but it also didn't look like moose habitat you know it's kind of that dry crunchy um you know just just not what you consider when you think of moose. So anyway, at that point I was, I was just mentally preparing myself. Like we're just going to sit and grind this out, uh, for three or four days. Maybe we'll see a bull moose. Maybe we won't. Well, and we had, we had kind of made the decision to hunt it, you know, till it made sense for you to get down to the funeral. So that was Wednesday. If we, if we hadn't filled a tag by then we were going to go to the funeral and then, head to Colorado and try to grab four days of hunting down there. And, uh, yeah, I was after that first night, I mean, you could see a ton of country and there was some pockets you could see into. Um, we knew this moose lived in this country, but that moose could have lived there for a month and we could have been sitting on that ridge and never seen him. Yeah. We also knew that there was a couple other potential shooters in there. And so, yeah, I was in the same boat, man. After that first night, I'm like, man, we're going to be sitting up on that dry, windy ridge for four days. And chapstick, guys, like (laughs) every single time it's on my list, whatever. I'm like, oh, I'll just get it on the gas station. I forget it every time. Day number one, I'm like, oh, (laughs) dude, keep chapstick in your bino bivy all the time. I ended up, Dustin's brother, fortunately, was coming up. Um, I don't know any guys who buy flavored chapstick, but I got cherry from him apparently. <laughs> yeah, I'm more of a I'm more of a Blistex medicated guy myself. Again, yeah, me too. Not not it's flavored, a, but not flavored. What that's what your brother gave you. Thanks, yeah. Jason. And so for the first time out of two hunts on this where this was gonna happen, something just happened and and all i can say to that is you know you hear the cliche that you you know you have to be there for things to happen you know you have to just you put in the time you're on the mountain and and you know as many times as as it doesn't work out eventually it's it's gonna work out and we woke up the next morning uh like like we just explained not very high hopes and lo and behold by I don't know, eight or nine o'clock, we've got a nice, a nice bull moose, uh, spotted across the Canyon. And he, we just happened to pick him up in a little open, uh, pocket meadow there, uh, coming across the Ridge and got some good, got some good footage of him, uh, which was good because it took me, it took me a, a minute, you know, we, we, so we watched that bull, um, 
we were split up and we, we actually, you know, we both basically signed at the same time. Um, He's maybe out for like not six, long. eight minutes tops yep. at most. And I mean, we were glassing him from probably a mile away. A mile. Is that fair? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and I don't mean this like I had to talk myself into killing this moose. And that's why it was good to have the video. I mean it like I, I'm the same as Corey. I, I don't know how to judge moose um, as well as I do mule deer or elk. And so... Um, you know, we, we catch that, that bull coming across an opening, get footed, get a phone scope of him. And then he kind of disappears and he disappears. You know, there's, there's a big kind of bull behind him that, that he's on, he's on that Ridge. And then there's one peak that kind of comes up in the middle of all of it. And, and so you could imagine like, if you're on that peak, that's kind of in the middle of that bowl, you could see you know, 270 degrees of mountains or whatever, and, and be within shooting distance for sure of any of it. Um, and he, and he kind of disappeared in between, in between those two from our vantage point. And so we, we let him go, uh, didn't get too excited at the moment and had a couple other guys, uh, my brother, my dad, and my uncle, uh, hiking in that, that opening morning, you know, and they were going to be there around, you know, 11 noon or whatever it was. And so for the next like couple hours, you and I just kind of sat there and talked about if that's a moose that I should kill. And two, two things held me up. The first one was there. We knew that there was a bigger moose that hung in the area. And, and so we knew there's a bigger moose that hung in the area. Um, and it was opening morning and it was, it was opening morning. Uh, the other thing is that particular bull, uh, from the footage, we could definitely only put one brow tine on one, on one side. And the other side actually duped us. We thought there was two on the other side. Um, but you know, if you get into the scoring of moose, the kind of the benchmark that I was shooting for or that people had told me to shoot for, I guess, for a better scoring moose was like, if you can get a moose that has two brow tines, um, that's going to help increase your score as it pushes, kind of pushes the paddle length down to that split. If you can imagine that. And then, um, you know, 40 inch, 40 inch wide moose was kind of the, you know, that's kind of the benchmark and that's, that's a pretty good moose. I was told for that for that unit. And then, and then obviously some paddle size, you know, the bigger, the better. Um, cause those are kind of three of your main measurements there. This moose clearly only had one point on at least one side and come to find out basically only had a, a single on the other side too. At that point, um, sat on that for a couple of hours and started reviewing it, looking over the footage. I probably watched it 15 times uh and i think what really tipped me over on him was like we said i think you could sit on that ridge for a month straight and maybe never see a, another bull or you might see 20 bulls uh it's it was just it was super variable because it was so thick um and then this moose was very wide um he ended up uh pushing the tape at like just over 45 inches wide which which is a wide that's a wide moose 
uh, for Which, that. To, to be fair, like we looked over the video and it, it was one of those things that it's like, when you see a buck, when you see an elk, like there's always a little bit of awe factor to it. And when we saw this bull, like he had just stripped his velvet, his paddles and everything just from where we were at, looked just flat white. And he was raking a tree at one point and different things, but he, he did have like, okay, that's a big Shiras. It had a little bit of an awe factor to it where it's yeah. like, we questioned, we looked at the video a few times to see, and I, I didn't take a video, but I watched him that whole six or eight minutes, except for when your brother-in-law stole the spotter from me. <laughs> I was just like, I want to see that moose. Um, we weren't 100% sure. I think the first several times we watched that video, we, we had conversations like... If it was the moose. Is that the moose? Is it not? If it's yeah. not, it's a big Shiras. Does it have double eye guards? You know, we went back and forth and... Like yeah. Dustin said, I'm, I think it was more than a few hours. I think we glassed him up at seven, and I don't think you left till one o'clock to go chase it. That yeah. that track with you? Uh, yeah, maybe a little earlier that, than that, but 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 yeah, I mean, it was it was multiple, you know, three three plus hours that we, you know, and and really it was like what it came down to is like okay you know, watching that bull and like, there was a part of that video where he kind of comes around a, a tree and like, you can see him swinging his, his head and, yeah. and his front. I mean, he, Oh, that sway. And he had like, yeah. what he does have is he has some tines that come off of his, you know, what would technically be his paddles that are very long. You know, I haven't, I haven't measured them out, but they're 10, 12, 14 inches long or whatever. And he's got like three of those, you know, including two of them would be, you know, one on each side would be his brow tines. And it just like, he's got this like really big front and just super cool, super wide. And, and eventually it just came down to like, am I going to kill a moose that scores a certain way just because it scores a certain way? Or am I going to kill a moose that I think is like super cool moose? And, and that was it, you know, at that point it was like, you know what, whether I'm it, well, it wasn't it, but at that point I said, you know what? we've got nothing better to do. It's clearly an area where it's like, you're going to see what you're going to see in the first 30 minutes of, of light. And then, and then you're not. And so I said, you know what? I'm not just going to sit here all day. Um, me and Dan took off, went down the Canyon, hiked up and, and I'm like, we're just going to get in striking distance of that bowl so that I can, maybe we see, him, maybe we don't, but if we do, I can at least get a really good look at him. Um, and so that's was, a, go ahead. Uh, it was a fun transition for me to watch with you. Cause like you and I have hunted together for seven, eight years now. There's units where we're trying to kill something. There's units where we're trying to kill a big elk or big deer or whatever. Um, yeah, it, it was really interesting to watch how, you know, what would typically be a once in a lifetime tag, which was a learning experience for me, you know, like, it's this weird deal like you want to kill as big a moose as you can so like going into it mentally i think that score is important we both learned about scoring on moose and the little nuances but we we transitioned back to like you know the conversation before you left was like dude that's a really cool moose mm -hmm. like what else what else do we want who cares if he's xyz number and 
we don't even really know what that number is. We don't even know what I, it is. Yeah. We don't. And it, like we look at it and it's like, dude, we could have, I could have watched that moose and walked up on it. You told me it was 35 inches or 55. And I would have been like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sounds reasonable. Yeah. I didn't even know, like looking at them on the ground, like I can get within a couple of inches of a mule deer. Yeah. Um, as far as width goes, we, but like on the hoof, on the ground, whatever, it's like, uh, Still don't know how I was thinking about trying to measure it with my trekking pole yeah. and then convert millimeters to inches because I'm like, is it over 40? Is it over 50? Is it over 30? I don't yeah. know. And and even after we killed him and he's on the ground, like like you said, we're standing there looking at him. We still don't have a clue. We're like, well, I think it'll go 40. Like, And luckily, my, my uncle, you know, this he's hashtag Utah, hashtag Utah hunter, because he literally pulls a tape out of his backpack and uh so like oh perfect this will settle it you know string it across i'm like oh i'll be he's like 45 and a half he's very wide he's a very wide boost uh but yeah it just you know you know what's funny is like i've been thinking about and salivating over and dreaming about and trying to find and hunting mule deer and elk for my whole life right at least like since i could hunt you know 20 something years I just barely started even knowing like that I had a moose that, you know, that like this is the first time I've even thought about killing a moose, you know, or what a moose would score or anything like that. And so, you know, it's, you don't ever want the feeling like, like you burned yourself or you didn't take it seriously enough or whatever. But, you know, at some point it's like, you got to live in whatever moment you're in. It's like, dude, that was the moose for me, man. Like, that he just it was just too perfect i love i loved everything about him like he just it was just my moose man so you know me and dan get over there maybe three four o'clock we get up on this ridge it is super thick with that scrub oak and we it is impossible to be quiet um we're you know and we're coming up the back side of this this ridge it's very steep very tall uh, from where we had seen that bull ass, but we still had no idea if he was even in there. He could have hit the bottom where it was thick and he could have been a mile away by now and we would have no clue. Uh, but we get up, you know, kind of to the, the top of that ridge and realize that the very top of it is, it's it's not that it was thick, it's that it was actually flatter and longer than it looked from across the, you know, across the canyon. It looked like it came to a very distinct point. And it looked like, oh, even though there's trees on the backside, it looked like it was pointy enough that you could kind of see through those, you know, because it's steep on the backside. It wasn't steep on the backside. It was just a continuous ridge. And so, you know, at that point, we kind of slunk around the the south-facing slope into the open. Um, and and almost, I kind of leaned over to Dan, and I was like, you got your camera rolling? You know, we're, we're getting within two to 500 yards of the ridge where we last saw the bull, you know, from the bottom to the top. And, and he's like, well, no, like you planning on shooting. I'm like, well, I'm not planning on shooting, but like the way this is going, I mean, we could be, he could be on this ridge bedded up in these trees. And, and it would be, you know, I felt like we were about to jump a pheasant is what I felt like. Um, you know, a, a 1200 pound pheasant. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and so, 
I was like, okay, you know, you need to get rolling here because if it is the moose we want to shoot and you can get set up or whatever, like, you know, this isn't going to happen fast if, if he's right here. <coughs> Excuse me. Luckily he wasn't, um, you know, and, and so we just kind of kept walking around the, the, the south facing uh, side of that ridge and eventually just got to a point there where, you know, we kind of got out as far as we could and we could see, you know, not a hundred percent of the ridge where he could be, but we saw, you know, 75% of it. And so about that time, we just kind of sat down, parked it and we're like, well, in my head at that point, I'm just going to wait him out. I'm just going to sit here and see what happens. And we, at this point have five guys yeah. on the adjacent ridge spread out, you know, well, not spread out yet. Jason, Dustin's brother, his pops, his uncle, his brother-in-law were all there. Honestly, I think at this point it was like three, four in the afternoon. They had showed up. We had packed in some water um, because it was super dry up there and we were expecting to sit in the sun for four days. And we're just about getting ready. Like we probably should have spread out and started glassing by then. Um, but we're about to surround this moose with glass. Yeah. Yeah. But basically, you know, from where we're sitting and then where you guys were sitting, I mean, uh, again, assuming that bull didn't sneak out the bottom where it was just thick, thick, thick all the way to the bottom where we couldn't see, like we, we pretty much had him pinned one way or the other, you know, it might not have been me seeing him, but some, someone was going to see that moose. Well, that didn't last long, sat there for, you know, maybe three, four minutes and then just like, like he just, like he didn't weigh 1200 pounds and have a 45 inch wide rack. He just snuck right up, uh, into the open and there he was. And he, you know, I, I put the range finder on him 275 yards and he's just sitting there kind of feeding up, you know, uh, just out in the open enough that I could have shot and, but just kind of over, you know, just at the base of uh, a meadow and, you know, so what transpired after that was really a rookie mistake on my part. Um, luckily, you know, I don't think moose see real well. <laughs> and, but I, you know, th the mistake that I made as a shooter um, is I, I'm, I've been so used to shooting prone anytime I can, which, which I, I prefer, obviously. Um, but I just wasn't thinking, um, and I'm, I'm like frantically trying to get prone. And the problem is, is like I said, we're on the, we're like on the, on the side of this ridge and it is not flat. And so I'm like trying to back up under a tree and like get enough where I can lay down. Then I can't see him. There's bushes in the way or whatever, you know? And finally, like this goes on for 30 seconds, a minute or whatever. Um, and I finally just like snap out of it. And I'm like, I think to myself, he's 275 yards. Like put your gun over your pack, sit on your butt and shoot him. You know, if, if you're going to shoot him. And at this point, I still wasn't sure. I was just trying to get lined up just in case, you know, the, he's just kind of feeding there. Um, and so I come to my senses, you know, I, I hit the range. It's only, I don't know, two and a half or two and a quarter or something MOA dial up. Um, so I, I pop that into the turret and get set down. And then it was nice because I gave myself a good minute or two at least to just look him over. 
you know, and he's kind of feeding and then he would turn and you could kind of see a little better and he'd come to me a couple steps and then he'd feed or whatever. Um, you know, and, and that, that was it. I mean, you know, deep down in my heart, I think I knew when I left you guys that if I got over there and saw that moose in shooting distance, I was going to kill him. Um, oh, I knew, I knew hundred percent. As soon as he left, there's a little bit of like, well, we'll get close over there and we'll take a look at him if he comes out. And if there's an opportunity, <laughs> you guys see if that other moose comes out and like, yeah. if that moose walks out inside a thousand, Dustin's popping that thing hundred <laughs> percent. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. Like, you know, finally kind of, I'm like, you know, Dan, you know, we're, we're trying to get this on, you know, a little bit of footage or whatever. And, um, you know, Dan's all set up. It's perfect. Like everything's ready to roll. You know, we've got some epic footage of this moose just doing his thing. And, you know, I kind of like, you just need that like last validation. Sometimes I kind of was like, I don't know, Dan, what, what do you think, man? Just kind of generically. And he's like, well, I think if it was my tag, that moose would already be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, like, we, are, we already mentioned it. Dan's as good a dude as they come. He's a good hunter. He's a good yeah. filmer. Like Ben, Ben on some hunts. Yep. Yeah. He yeah. gets it. Yep. And so that was all I needed to like snap, you know, come to my senses. Like, oh yeah. What, like, what, what am I doing? Like I'm all set up, like kill him. You know, I was just, honestly like, you know, not consciously necessarily, but just kind of, just kind of enjoying the moment. Like, you know, I had, I was all set up. Everything was good. I'm watching this moose just kind of do his thing. You, you really, when you're that close, you really don't get the impression that like, he's going to bolt out of there super quick, like a mule deer might, and you won't get a shot. You know, it just didn't feel like that, even though he could, you know, I understand how fast moose can move, but you know, it was just kind of like, watching this moose and his element i got to just spend that time just like through the scope with him and just kind of like just just kind of like observe him um for a little bit and you know it's something that you don't get to it's not that you don't experience it i think when you're a new hunter but you definitely don't appreciate it or or remember it or recognize it um you know most of the time when you're a new hunter it's frantic you know, everything's your heart's racing. My heart was not racing. Um, I was, I was relatively calm. Like I was in the moment, you know, if that makes sense. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was just able to be in the moment there for a minute and just hundred percent aware of what was going on. And I was watching this moose and I was observing him and I was admiring just how big he was. And just like this, this, uh, you know, this big rack that they have to carry around and kind of watching him maneuver through the trees um, and it was just, it was, it was nice, man. Like it was, you know, it, it's something you don't always get a chance to do. Um, you know, whether it's a, you know, I don't know, a mule deer hunt or a elk or, or antelope, you know, I'm picturing antelope and it's like the complete opposite where it's just like they're running helter skelter. And it's like the second they stop, you're trying to get a shot off because you don't know how long they're going to stand there. And just, it was just the opposite of that. It was very peaceful, uh, tranquilo as, as Garrett, as Garrett would say. Um, and just, I just got to watch a moose, you know, do his thing relatively close, uh, before, before I took his life, you know, and it, it was, it was just, it was one of the first times that I've really like, uh, had that experience. So, um, 275 yards with a, with a seven Psalm, uh, with the 168s was, it was just, a, it was a chip shot really. 
um, decided it was time to pull the trigger and, uh, you know, Dan got rolling on him, uh, put the first one, he was, uh, broadside, was it his left? No, it was his right. Uh, broadside kind of slightly facing uphill feeding, tucked that first one, just money right behind, right behind the front shoulder. Um, that initial shock of him getting hit, he, he just kind of had that adrenaline rush and just kind of ran, actually ran towards us about four or five yards, maybe, which for him was like three steps, two steps. Um, and just, and then just stopped and he just kind of stopped and 99% sure that if I just would have left it right there, that moose would have just stopped and he would have tipped over. Um, but I've just been doing this long enough and moose are big and he's still on his feet. Uh, that I knew, you know, I already had another shell racked and I knew that if, if he gave me a chance, I was going to put one more in him. You always want to end it as quick as possible. Um, and so he stopped and for, for the first little bit right there, um, his antlers were kind of in the way. And, and the thought almost crossed my mind there. Like, you know, you just, you still got to try to put it through the antler or whatever. And I don't know why I was thinking that. Cause, and I didn't, you know, I just stopped and I was like, no, like, like let him clear. And as soon as his head turned back, uh, it's facing forward where his antler wasn't in the way. Um, man, I squared one up, like, you know, picture him downhill from me facing me and, and, and kind of facing downhill on the ridge that he's on. And so I've got like a perfect view of the top of his shoulders. And I just, you know, I basically at that point was going to square one up right between his shoulder blades. And that's what I did. And he just dumped you know, tango uniform rolling down the hill, kind of disappeared into the trees there. So, uh, that was it. That was, you know, my, my moose tag was filled. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was just different than anything I've ever experienced. Just, you know, if nothing else, because of the animal and, you know, luckily we had some service, uh, got you guys notified that, you know, with, with a suppressed rifle like that and a mile away, you guys had no clue that anything had happened. Uh, We're just sitting around BS and then yeah. we get a text like moose down. Yeah. Done. Like, Oh man. Yeah. How are we going to get him out? <laughs> Shoot. Shoot. I didn't get it. I didn't even get to see it. And uh, then it's like, Oh man, the work just started. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Fortunately, it, we had a crew. Yeah, we, we had a crew. We had a, what we had was we had a crew of llamas and, you know, lo and behold, like it's in a, it's in a watershed area. You know, I kind of gave my two cents on this, on the, on the film a little bit, you know, we're always going to play by the rules. However, I think that's a stupid rule. Um, especially if you're just going into retrieve game like that, which is all we were going to do. But called a couple people, no go, wasn't going to let it happen. So, uh, what transpired after that was just like absolutely humbling for me because all of a sudden we had 11 guys, uh, ready and willing within basically within a couple of hours, um, at the trailhead hiking in to help me pack my moose out. And I can't, I mean, I just cannot overstate my appreciation uh you know you, you it's like that tracy lawrence song like you find out 
who your friends are. Um, and I had, you know, there was already three or four or five of you guys in there or whatever it was. And I had another four or five drop everything and, and come running. Um, you know, uh, Alex Cedral, um, Taylor Quinn, uh, Taylor call my brother, my dad, my uncle Blaine, my brother-in-law, Josh, uh, you, Dan, um, Tyler Thurston, who am I missing? Brother. Yeah, I got my brother. Uh, Luke was there. Yep. Um, yep. I, man, I'm, I gotta look at the picture, but I think, I think I about got it there. Um, anyway, just, just very humbling experience to have, you know, that, that type of, uh, uh, friends, you know, that are all willing to come and do that. So I'm going to peek at the picture here real quick. Yeah. So we got, uh, my dad, Luke, Tyler, Jason, Taylor, Josh, you and me, and then Dan. So, uh, just awesome. Uh, once, once in a lifetime experience, once in a lifetime tag, I, I'm still not sure. I guess I can still draw a moose tag technically, but, um, just can't can't say enough about all the all the people that were involved in making that happen so hopefully well, can... from day one you had guys reaching out hey this moose is in this canyon i mean it was it, it's a different experience with it being a once in a lifetime tag you know it's a lot people are more generous with info they want to help it's yeah you know it yeah you and know we... i and, and, and hopefully we try to repay the favor. You know, I, I, it's the only once in a lifetime tag I've ever hunted. Um, but I have hunted, uh, some elk hunts in Utah that are very hard to draw and completely different. I, I treat those completely differently than I do like an, these over the counter, basically over the counter Colorado muzzleloader tags. Right. And that's, and that's what I mean by that is I've had guys reach out to me and ask me about that elk unit. And I, I tell them everything I can tell them. I literally tell them where we camp. I tell them where the bulls are going to be, where they were, where we killed them, what type of bulls they can expect, where the water is. I tell them everything. Um, simply because like, like you said, you know, it's, it's one of those where, you know, we kind of look out for each other. The harder the tag is to draw, like, you know, the more we understand that, um, you know, it's, it's just, I'm, you know, what, what am I protecting? Um, try to help out, a you know, another, another guy. So yeah, it, it was, it was a crazy, crazy cool experience. Um, yeah. So moose down, you know, a, a, a big bull moose with 11 guys is actually pretty manageable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, relatively speaking, you know, cutting them up is, is honestly, uh, that's the biggest task really you know, getting them, getting them quartered up and getting the back straps off and stuff like that. And then, you know, I was busy kind of caping the head out while you guys were deboning. I'm sure that was a big, big uh, chore, but um, I'd say. I, 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 I prefer like that, that portion, like moving them around and picking up those quarters, which is just like so impressive, but the bigger cuts of meat to me are like, I prefer it. I think it's almost easier. You know, it's not such delicate work because if you lose a pound on an antelope leg, you just lost 30%. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Where like, 
you know, if you, I, I much prefer working on bigger animals, which is another check mark for chasing elk over mule deer. But <laughs> it's nice uh, about mule deer is one guy can put them in his backpack. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, pack outs are different, but yeah. yeah, it was awesome to have a crew there, guys dropping what they did. It took us, you know, that night to cut them up, and then the next day we had a, you know. We had guys show up for cutting them up. We had guys show up the next day for packing them out. And yeah, 11 dudes can pack out an elk in one trip, which is awesome. Yeah, I'd say average 40 to 60 pounds of meat maybe per guy. Uh, yeah. Pretty pretty manageable. So anyway, that was awesome. I've uh, you know, posted some pictures. I'll try to put some more up here. But, um, you know, and then, and then, you know, what happened next again, like, uh, you know, we had the, now, now we have this weird thing where we almost have like too big of a gap on our hands. Um, because you know, I'm going to go down to this funeral. It's, it's now Sunday afternoon or whatever it was Sunday evening. I'm going to go to a funeral on Wednesday in Mesquite. So it's like, I'm basically going to leave Tuesday at least. Uh, but it's like, we've got all day, Monday, all day, Tuesday, you know, and then technically all day, Wednesday, and, and it was like, okay, you know, if Corey has to come down with me, um, you know, then that's just going to be a big, little bit of a waste of time there, uh, for him. And so you were able to round up, uh, Alex's truck and, you know, again, just goes to show what type of guy he is, um, and let you bomb down to that, that deer, deer and elk unit, uh, early you know where we could we could go separate ways so um you you did that i went to the funeral um you know you 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 can kind of take it over and kind of talk about those couple days um before i showed up that night yeah i bombed uh and i alex is you know him and i've been buddies since we were 10 years old grew up in iowa together and uh just uh, salt of the earth type guy and i I knew if I asked him if I could borrow his pickup, he would let me. And I kind of, it was one of those deals where like, I wanted to get down on this elk hunt and I was kind of jonesing. I also, you know, it's kind of what I signed up for. We kind of knew, we didn't know what day the funeral was going to be when we were getting ready for the, you know, when we were leaving, we found out like Friday night or Saturday morning, we were already in Utah. What I signed up for told Dustin in advance, like, Hey, you know, don't, don't worry about me. If we only get three days of hunting, whatever, like we'll figure out the logistics and the, the logistics of this whole hunt was, I mean, it felt like we were kind of constantly like gaming and figuring out where to go and when and how, and, uh, we had packed, Alex came in, packed that moose out with us. We were bebopping around in his truck, shuttling vehicles. And he, uh, he said, he's like, Hey, if you want to go on that Colorado hunt, just take my pickup. It's like, uh, I've been thinking about it. Yeah. That'd be awful. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to take you up on that. Thanks for offering. And, uh, so I, I bombed down to Colorado. Um, you know, kind of took all day to get there. Um, had to, one of the pieces of logistics was we needed to keep that moose meat cold. And I had two big coolers, but we didn't want, you know, ideally we drop it off at a, meat you know at a freezer or 
whatever, and we're going to butcher it ourselves. So we don't need them to cut it up, which makes it a little harder. And so we found a place in Colorado. We didn't know when we were coming out or if we were, or you know, what direction I had to go back to Salt Lake. Dustin may have to go back to Salt Lake. We found a place that worked out. Dustin got a hold of them. I dropped moose meat off, showed up in Colorado. Um, I am, I had ACL surgery at last November. And so I'm going on 10 months. I get down there and kind of know that, uh, I'm not going to get camp in. I'm slowed down, you know, strength wise, my knees slowed me down. It was the moose hunt was a very humbling experience for me just in general. Cause I realized, you know, I'm, I'm just not where I'm used to being. And so I ended up just kind of day hunting it there for, was it a day and a half? I would have got down there Tuesday, last Tuesday night. Yeah. I showed up Um, uh, late Wednesday night. Yep. So, and then I packed in Wednesday morning with no camp, spent the day in there. Um, was that the night I found the two deer? Or no, you no, were in there. I was in there. Um, I show up to the trailhead though, and there are just as I'm getting my gear organized on Tuesday, there are five guys packing out. Um, couple from Florida, a couple from New Mexico. Um, they'd been in there since Friday. They gave me some valuable info, which I think I think's pretty common, man. I think uh you know, if you asked Dustin and I what unit you were in, you would either get told we weren't going to tell you or you would get told um, a lie about what unit, you know, especially if you don't know us very well. Where I think at the trailhead, I'd be happy to share info for what elk and mule deer are doing. And these guys were very generous, super good dudes. They were kind of in a hurry. We shot the shit, kind of left it as a feeling. He actually reached out. One of them reached out to me on Instagram, but, um, you know, they gave me some very valuable info on where they'd been hunting, what, what was going on in there. Um, how many other hunters were in there, which to my dismay, there was more hunters than I would have wanted to be in there. Um, didn't see a whole lot of action that first like day and a half slept in the pickup on Wednesday. And the reason I didn't pack camp in is Dustin was coming down with llamas, Yeah, you know, and we, we knew that he was going to have to pack his stuff in that first, that first night was, you know, it was kind of a game time decision. I actually had my pack loaded with camp at one point and I was just like, I might be able to glass tonight. If I don't bring camp in, I got to come out to wrangle llamas with Dustin anyway. Um, so yeah, I didn't pack camp and kind of felt like a Sally cause 25 year old version of me would have never done that, but it, uh, you know, it worked out well, a lot of hunters those first two days, um, and not a lot of animals heard some bugles, but not really what you want hunt wise. And then Dustin rolls in at 2 AM on winds, well, Thursday morning, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Um, and we pack camp in that next morning and we know that I need to be back in Salt Lake on Sunday. So we have basically Thursday night, Friday and 
yeah, Saturday morning, Saturday night, if we want a little bit of OT, if things are going well. Yeah. So it, uh, Dustin rolls in. Yeah. Those poor, get, poor llamas have been in the trailer for, you know, whatever it was from there, 10 or 12 hours or whatever driving. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Was it, was it 2 AM? It was 2 AM. Yeah, long day. A lot of driving on this trip. I kind of figured I could have drove across the country put, in the week. Well, put put it this way. When I left, um, got an oil change in my in my diesel at 152,000 miles. And I'm uh, when I got back, I was 155,000 and something. So I, I put on over 3,000 miles, I think. See, and I was fine because I rode with you, and then I took my buddy's pickup. Yeah, <laughs> you put on zero miles. <laughs> nice. Um, no, it's just, man, it's, you know, side note to that, it's just the, the what you sign up for if you're going to, you know, apply for, you know, seven of the eight or six of the eight western states or whatever, you better be ready to do some driving. So keep keep good maintenance on your truck and, and just get over it, but. Download podcasts. Download podcasts. Yep. This one would be a good one yep. to download. Uh, yep. Yeah. So, you know, it's like at that point, I mean, I'm rolling in at two. The llama's been in a trailer all, all day. And, you know, we just weren't going to, we both just knew like we were not going to wake up, you know, at, you know, two hours later at four 30 in the morning and, and uh, hike in so we could hunt or whatever. It was just, it was just a rest, rest morning. So <coughs> we, uh, slept in as long as we could woke up you know did the whole uh pannier thing with the llamas four four llamas uh two very experienced uh llamas and then two kind of rookies uh, up and comers you know uh these these llamas are you know from our our deal of backcountry logistics where we rent llamas out there in nevada and wyoming or whatever but um these llamas at the, the two rookies were at that kind of three and a half year old age, uh, where, you know, that we're not probably going to put full weight on them, even though I'm convinced that, uh, Lloyd, uh, is a monster and he could have had more than anyone probably cause he's so big, but, um, you know, we're trying to keep them relatively light and just trying to get them some good experience. So, you know, four, four was perfect for this trip cause it kept, no llama ever had even even once we killed a buck no llama ever had more than 40 pounds on them which is perfect so but we got uh got llamas saddled up got hiked in um you know i don't know three three four miles uh kind of in the general vicinity of you know same same spot that i'd been scouting that summer and even though we knew there was a couple guys around um you know, it didn't seem to matter really. The, the country's big enough, I think, and rugged enough that, you know, guys can be on a trail or on a ridge that you're on or whatever. And it's like, you know, that country's just so big that you can, A, you can look across it and, and kind of get away from the pressure with your eyes, if that makes sense. You know, and then B, it's like, I'm convinced that there was other guys that heard bulls bugling down in those canyons and they just don't go after them you know, cause it's so far down there or whatever, but, um, yeah, and we're, we're camped, you know, close to 12,000 feet or maybe a little above. And, you know, the peaks there probably peak out at 12, five and you're hunting elk down to maybe like 11 K. And so 
like Dustin said, like guys aren't dropping off. A lot of, one of the things we learned and didn't really expect about the unit was all the pressure was from the top. Um, you know, there were some good horse trails running around the tops of the basins there. Um, and then coupled with, um, you know, Colorado got a couple feet of snow, um, maybe a week before we got in there, um, towards the beginning of the hunt. And it, uh, you know, a little bit of pressure, I think might've pushed the milk around and then the deer with the pressure from the top and the snow, you know, I, I had several hours of glass and then by the time Dustin got there and hadn't, hadn't seen the number of mule deer we do in other units. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, you know, a, a day and a half into it, um, you know, the, the, the first, not the first evening, but the second, um, we, we split, <clears throat> Well, we split both times, I think, but we split, we went to, you know, I went and looked into one basin, you went and looked into the other, um, you know, and we're far enough apart, you know, a, a half mile or whatever that it was, you know, um, I end up seeing a, I end up spotting a good bull, uh, for that unit. Um, you, you end up spotting a, a couple of bucks, you know, even further away, um, which would have been a, you know, a jaunt, but yeah, I mean, let me back up there. I mean, with that snow deal, it was a, it was a big like question mark. Um, you know, I'm like texting a few guys that have been on the podcast that know a heck of a lot more about mule deer than I do. David Long, Robbie Denning, these guys, and I'm like, hey, like, what exactly does two feet of snow do to mule deer in this at this time of the year? You know, and and it was like, well you know, the consensus, like, you know, David and I were kind of texting is like, well, uh, you know, could be, could be down in their secondary ridges already, you know, could they're, they're definitely going to push down initially. It's just whether they're going to make, make their way back up or not is, was really the question. Um, and it warmed up real quick. Yeah. Mid September. Yeah. I mean, we, they're we, shedding velvet there. We, we never really hiked through any snow, you know, it wasn't like, you know, you would think it would be in like October, November. So, but you know, it was enough of a shock initially on that one storm that it's like, yeah, you could see, you know, most of these deer kind of pushing down a, a you know, a thousand feet or 2000 feet or whatever. So it was just a big question mark. And, and I'm still not convinced that that didn't happen because, you know, we saw three deer in the unit, uh, three bucks and, and granted they were relatively high. One of them was this buck that we killed. Um, the elk, the elk don't care, you know, the elk are going to do what the elk are going to do. They're not scared of a couple feet of snow, but, um, uh, so, you know, you and I split, uh, that, that evening, uh, whatever night that was, uh, Thursday night. And, you know, it was kind of like, oh, you know, you're after elk and I'm after mule deer and you saw mule deer and I saw a good bull. And, you know, so we get back to camp <clears throat> kind of tell our stories and like oh okay well you know clearly you know you're gonna go the other way where i was at and i'm gonna go the other way and try to get eyes on those bucks even though you know the two bucks were just not you had footage of them and and it was clear to both of us that they weren't quite what i was looking for um i had a goal this year of you know 180 inch buck was kind of my benchmark or i you know was was not gonna pull the trigger and 
So I was like, well, I'll go look at those, look for those bucks. Maybe they meet up with a bigger buck or something, you know, kind of was my thinking. And they well, were, they were far enough away. Like you could tell they were good. They were good bucks, but you couldn't. Yeah. At that distance with the video and everything, it was one of those deals where it was like, well, are they, we did they one sixty bucks yeah. or they one eighty bucks? We didn't really know. We wanted a better look at them. Yeah, we couldn't. We couldn't. Yeah, that's true. We didn't know one hundred percent what we were looking at. So, um, you know, wake up first thing. Get get. We go our separate ways, and and we're even closer now, um, because you you know we knew where that elk was had, had been at least, and so you didn't need to go as far as I had. So we're relatively close, which worked out. Because I, I get over to where I'm in the glass for those deer and I'm kind of, you know, getting set up and first 10 minutes of light and I'm, you know, it just kind of hits me and I'm like, you know, this is stupid. I know how hard it is to kill elk when you're by yourself. It's a lot easier when they're bugling. If you've got someone with you, that is, I know that's a heck of a good bull. These deer, like we are still 80% sure they weren't shooters. Um, I'm like, this is stupid. I'm going to go help Corey kill that bull. Um, if he's down there bugling in that Canyon, you know? And so I pack my stuff up, not, you know, 10 minutes into first light in that, that first morning. And I hike, you know, around the, the little uh, ridge there to the backside where you were. And <laughs> as soon as I, as soon as I come up over the top of the saddle and you're sitting there, um, you know, I talk about Corey getting bird doggy when something gets real serious. Uh, the, the time before this was about a couple of Glock pistols. Um, <laughs> this, this time it happened to be about a mule deer. Uh, I come around the corner and I'm getting that frantic, come here, come here, come here. You need to see what this is. And I'm in my head, I'm still thinking, oh, good. You found that bull. Like, yeah, I've already seen him. Let's go kill him, dude. Like, and then I realized real quick that it's not the bull because you're like, Sh- buck big buck shooter buck you know you're kind of like what's his name on uh outdoor uh <laughs> bear big bear big bear chase me and you're you're almost how i've never seen i've never seen you react that way uh especially to a mule deer you're not a mule deer guy uh and you're like getting very excited and like you know, having a hard time putting your words together of like, this is a big buck. This is a big buck. This is a shooter. This is a big shooter buck. Um, he, you know, I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, and I'm looking at the screen and you can't, you know, if you don't really look at those screens, even with the phone on them, you can't, you know, and you're like, he's tall, he's wide, he's deep, he's heavy. Like he's got an extra, like, I'm like, okay, like I get it. Like he's, yeah, he's a shooter buck, you know? And, you know, and so I'm finally starting to like, okay, like, wait a minute, I'm coming out of it. I'm like, I'm still in kill this elk mode. And I'm like, wait, this isn't the elk. Like, oh, this is a mule deer. Like, I'm, gonna, oh, <laughs> I'm the one with the mule deer tag. Like, oh, like, okay. And so. Well, well, from my point of view, I glassed him like as soon as you could see. And he'd been on like a bare ridge for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> and it's one of those things like, I, I haven't, man, I've looked over some mule deer, but I'm, I'm just not the guy to be like, okay, that's a, that's a 180 buck. That's a 200 buck. That's a, you know, and I, but I knew it was a good deer, but I've been sitting there and I'm like, I know this is a shooter for Dustin. I know where he's at, but like, do I leave and not get a seat so I can run and get Dustin? 
and not get to see where this deer disappears to, or do I sit here and hope he shows up? And like, I'm going through all this for 20 minutes while I'm sitting here looking at this deer and it just gets worse. The more I look at it, I'm like, the sun's coming up and I'm like really realizing well, this is, this is a nice buck. And then to see you coming over the ridge, like it just added to that like excitement. And so, yeah, I was, and then to make matters worse, he was like, right as you were walking up, he was meandering over a little finger ridge. So we weren't going to see him. I had 15 minutes of video of him on my phone, so it didn't really matter. But I was like, you got to come see this deer. And then you weren't excited. And it's like. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of looking at him from a distance on the screen, you know. And, and again, it's like I, I could tell. First of all, he's walking away. And I'm like, well, they all look big walking away, you know. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, how, how big is he? Thinking like, well, Corey might be getting excited over 165-inch deer. I probably would too because, you know, whatever. Um, but if finally, like, if finally, like, he turned or I saw him or you showed me footage after or whatever and it was like, oh, okay, like, this is a serious buck. Um, you know, and so the the flip, the, or the, the switch eventually flipped there and I was like, oh, okay, like, how, how are we going to kill this deer? To your credit, I think you played it perfectly um, by not getting up and leaving. And here's why. Because you sat there long enough until he, you know, granted, I happened to walk over. But if you, if you know, and we had talked about this and it was like, we both can sense that like, if you had gotten up and left while he was still in the open and didn't watch where he disappeared to, we have a lot smaller chance of ever killing that deer because we don't know exactly where he is or ended up. And so, you know, we both, we both kind of commend, or I was commending you because it was like, you know, worst cases he, he ended up disappearing over that Ridge and you sit there for another 20 minutes and make sure he doesn't come over the other side. And then you come and run and get me, you know, and we still are in basically the same situation, but um, you know, I ended up walking over. And so, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, with no communication there, like you, you do it that way a hundred times again, you know? Um, and so the other thing that really like got my blood flowing here was I finally put it together. You know, I'm kind of watching the video and you're like talking to me and you're showing me and I'm, and then I said, well, wait a minute. I'm like, is that buck alone too? And you're like, yeah, he's by himself. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I'm watching where he went. You know, you picture like a big 12,500 foot peak that's, you know, up above tree line. There's no, there's really no trees up at the top, but there's just these, these, uh, you know, ridges and fingers kind of, kind of heading up towards the top of the peak. And he had disappeared over one of them and was, you know, was disappeared on the backside. And, and we could tell from where we were, we couldn't see him, but we could tell that there was kind of a, a stringer of pine trees going up through there. And so, you know, at that point, like just seen it enough times where I said, man, like, Corey, I'm going to go kill that deer. He's going to be this time of year. He's going to be on his feet a little bit longer. Um, you know, it's starting to cool off up here a little bit. And, um, uh, he's by himself, you know, and it's like, he's going to tuck in in that backside. Probably. I just need you to sit here and basically watch and make sure that he doesn't exit out the, you know, the other side. And if he does throw up a, you know, we had a signal, like throw up a game bag so that I know that he's, he's fed around the bowl on the, on the other side there. 
Well, yeah. And I, you know, I was still, most of my mule deer hunting has been with a bow and I was still in the mental state of like, we need to sit here and make sure. And as soon as Dustin said, Hey man, it's late in the year. He's going to be on his feet for a while. It's like, Oh yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) And you're like, I'm just going to go over there and kill him. I wasn't in the game plan where you're going over there right now. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you switched gears there. Cause I, I probably, I, there's no way I would have sent you over there until I saw him again. Yeah. Which would have been a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and just, just got lucky. I mean, got over there. Uh, so uh, w- one other thing, well, so hike around the hike around the basin Corey's there you know I glassed back a couple three or four times just to check there's no game back up so I know like that buck still had disappeared over the backside of that finger that you could see and then it was just a matter of has he bedded down yet and can I find him before he finds me really was all all the game was at that point and so I end up coming right down the finger that he had crossed over and and for the first couple of minutes i had a i was disoriented and it's it's crazy you know everyone talks about like but every time you just have to reorient yourself with at what you saw from over there i wasn't smart enough to take a picture because it seemed very cut and dry but i still i got i was up on the ridge that he was on and i thought that i was one ridge beyond where he was and i was glassing back towards Corey, kind of on the wrong side you know i'm, I'm glassing to this and, I, and it hit me because that hillside, you know, was all wooded and, and thick. And I start replaying it in my mind. And I'm like, no, that buck walked over a completely bare ridge. And so then it hit me, oh, I'm on that ridge. And I'm just up. There were a few scattered trees, but I'm up on the top and he was down low. The second that that, that uh, changed in my mind, then I, boom, I'm pinpointed to the right. And, uh, you know, as I as in kind of picture me coming off the finger uh, through the little scattered pine up there and I'm glassing down to the right. And then, you know, it's just a matter of time before I take a couple steps real quiet, almost like I'm bow hunting and I pick him up. And it was just. It was just perfect. Um, you know, he's sitting there feeding, doesn't know I'm there. Very scattered finger of, of pine trees. Um, you know, I'm convinced that another thing that got this buck killed was it was September 18th. Yeah, it was Friday, September 18th. This buck was still in the velvet, full velvet. And I'm convinced that it could have like within one to five days from then he was going like probably that night he was going to shed his velvet. And as soon as he shed his velvet, I'll bet you his patterns change. And I'll bet you he ends up a little bit further down the ridge, a little bit uh, thicker trees, like not wanting to be out and exposed like he does when he's got his velvet on. And I'm convinced that's what, that's one thing that got him killed. Uh, the other was him running by himself. <laughs> big bucks yep. that are by themselves in these big high alpine uh, above tree line situations are just asking for it, especially with open site muzzle loaders like this uh, that we have. And so there he was, uh, took me all of, you know, I don't know, less than a minute to kind of find a little, 
a tree branch to shoot, or not a tree branch, but an old dead piece of wood uh, coming up out of the ground, a dead uh, uh, stump, and just worked out perfect. 150 yards, dialed up that open sight, and uh, snuck one of those new power belt uh, ELR 45 cal ELRs. Uh, he's kind of downhill, quartered up and quartered away a little bit. So I sneak it right behind the, the last rib basically on the entrance and then exits, uh, ends up coming right lodging in his opposite side, front shoulder. And just that deer, uh, tango uniform again, just dumped right there. Uh, he didn't, he didn't go anywhere. He didn't take a step. He, all he did was roll three yards, you know, down the hill or whatever. Um, and it was just, I couldn't believe it. Um, I knew backing up a little bit when I got binos on him from up there, then it was like, then I got a little bit excited. Not, not really, but it was just like, then I put eyes on him and I'm like, I wasn't even hundred percent sure it was the same deer. He was looking so big to me. You know, and, and even though it was like, well, yeah, of course it's the same deer. It was like, I didn't really, that's how bad of a look I got at him on the phone and was in a hurry and kind of thing. And when I got over there, 150 yards from him and watched him swing his head a couple of times, I was like, I don't even care if this is the same deer. That deer needs to die. That is a big buck. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's exactly what happened. I dumped him, got over there and didn't still, you know, even though you're, you can tell a huge frame, like I didn't know. I had no idea what I had killed exactly. He could have been 175. He could have been 220. He happened to be kind of right in the middle. Um, but, you know, just a once in a lifetime feel, uh, even though it's not uh, for me, because I've been, I've been chasing a buck like this for 15 or 20 years. Uh, you know, I've only been chasing a moose on a, a quote unquote once in a lifetime tag for, you know, for a day. Um, and I've been chasing a buck like this my whole life. And so I just, uh, I start working my way around to him and you had known, you know, love it or hate it. I, I couldn't control my emotions and I let out kind of a victory cry. Across, <laughs> I, from my point of view, I was, you know, I watched you get over to that Ridge and I watched you kind of, like you said, reorient yourself. And then you get over on that Fringer Ridge. And when you, Man, when you left, I was just like, man, he's going to go over there and kill that buck. And I, I've never, I've seen you go on, you know, hundred stocks if I've seen you go on one and I've never been so confident on you going over there and killing that buck. Just the setup couldn't have been more perfect. We knew, you know, as long as he didn't drop out the bottom, which he didn't really give us the impression he was going to man, you get over there, you reoriented yourself and you started poking down that finger ridge coming in and out of those pines. And I'm just like, Oh man, he's, he's, he's going to kill him. And you disappeared for two, three minutes. And then I hear the muzzle loader go off and hear the, the battle cry from mm -hmm. across the Canyon right at a mile. And, uh, I still didn't know. I still didn't know that you killed the buck for sure. Cause I couldn't see you. You didn't like, wave your arms at me or anything so i sat there like i think you got uh, you know i just didn't know i i get so excited sitting there watching you through the spotter and really anybody through the spotter when they're on the stock yeah it's, and, uh, it's like watching 
a sports game, like I get so much more nervous uh, than when I'm actually playing in it, you know? And I mean, I, anyway, yeah. And so- I, I, I knew he was a good buck. Um, I, in with all the excitement and stuff, I didn't look at his body as hard as I should have. Um, looking at the video now, you can right away tell like it's just a huge bodied buck. And so, yeah, yeah, you can see it in his back and his belly, the whole nine yards. And then, um, you know, if you look at that and then compare it to the rack, then it's like, it'll turn a 160 buck into a 180 buck if he's got a huge body and vice versa. You know, I've played that game too, where it's like, Oh, I should have just looked at that deer's body because I just turned a 160 buck into a 140 buck. Right, right, um, right. It, uh, yeah, it was a, it it was a fun experience watching you slink over there. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and then so, something happened there after that that has never happened to me before. Um, you know, I I walked around. I mean, I watched him tip over right there. I knew he was dead, so I kind of side hilled around to where he was. I, I loaded another bullet, like you always should do on a muzzleloader hunt, um, just in case. Uh, but I I I started my way around, and all of a sudden, I think you know I kept my emotions in check on my on my grandpa's passing and stuff um, up to that point, and for some reason, like you know, whether you're spiritual or not. Um, I just became overwhelmed with the impression that, uh, that was, that was a hunt that grandpa Whitworth was there with me, you know, and if, if you knew him and kind of knew his, his life or whatever, um, he didn't, you know, he wasn't, by the time I was old enough to hunt, he just really wasn't getting around that well. Um, and so, you know, not that him and I didn't go on some hunts together, but not like you would want to go on a hunt with your grandpa, meaning, you know, him in his prime and you in your prime. And so I get halfway around to this deer and has still had not laid eyes on how big or whatever he was. Didn't matter. Um, it wasn't what this was about. And just got this very strong, like overwhelming impression that, um, you know, that I was on the mountain with grandpa in a way and, uh, I just lost it. Uh, you know, I've never, I've never had that happen, but you know, I just, I dropped, I dropped on the, on the ground there and just, just had a, a kind of a spiritual experience and just, just, uh, you know, had, had a strong impression that grandpa was there and, and that him and I maybe had one more hunt together um of of in one way or another and you know just kind of imagined um just how much fun he would have you know how much he would have enjoyed stuff like that he didn't he didn't hunt that way he didn't he didn't hunt off of his back backpacking high alpine you know didn't even hunt with a muzzleloader he he definitely chased mule deer or whatever but um you know that 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 was just a it was a it was a neat experience um and uh one that i won't ever forget so you know i get around to that deer and then it just then i get happy because um that's the biggest deer i've ever killed in my life (laughs) (laughs) and so the moral of the story is let your you know let your grandparents know that if they're going to come back after they die for one last hunt (laughs) 
<laughs> have them have them make sure that it's the biggest deer that you've ever killed in your life yeah no i i don't think that's how it works but um you know i i, I do anyway it was i was just i couldn't believe what i was putting my eyes on uh you know for all intents and purposes uh that deer the deer tapes at probably 190 inch mainframe just you know just as typical four um really doesn't have what you would consider a weakness on his on his mainframe um and then he's got about nine inches worth of extras he's got um like a a six five or six inch little hook cheater uh coming off his right uh g2 and then he's got like these little uh devil points but they're they're relatively long that i've hardly ever seen on a mule they're coming right off his base uh like one's two inches and one's about an inch you know definitely scorable points and so you know if you add all that up with the gross and the you know, all the scorable points and stuff, uh, the numbers like, you know, and, and again, this is me unofficially green, gross scoring, rough scoring, whatever you want to call it. So, cause I don't care. Like, you know, if someone wants to come put a tape on my animals, they, they're welcome to, but he, it, it, it ends up adding up around 199 inches <laughs> uh, for all intents and purposes in my head it's 190 inch deer with some you know with some extras or whatever so i it it kind of you know every serious mule deer hunter wants to crest that 200 inch mark i think um that and maybe a 30 inch buck uh but i kind of like it this way um for, <laughs> you know it's the first it's the first real big deer i've killed and for me it's like I've still got something to chase, you know, not, not that you don't always have something to chase, but you know, it, it just, it's just, it, I felt good about it. I felt good that I was, I was almost excited when that, when that score came out at 199 and not 200, uh, because it just like, it kept that fire lit in me just a little bit, a little bit longer. So. So if it would have been two more inches, you'd be an elk hunter again with me? <laughs> no, then I'd be, you know, sick like Carter and these guys chasing 200 and, you know, 30 inch deer. You know, that's just completely crazy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it was a, you know, the, the whole hunt was a fun experience. It's good, uh, good nine days of my life that I, I won't forget anytime soon. And well, um, when I tell it in a few years, it's going to be a 200 inch deer. Um, <laughs> and I'll correct. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, you know, the, just the way everything happened. Um, you know, I remember sitting in the office, you know, we were FaceTiming on different computers trying to pick these leftover tags up because they are competitive. And uh, yeah, that's not, it's not how the story I would have expected it to go. And it's not, uh, you know, I, I expected when we picked those tags up that we were going to have a seven day hunt in there. And, um, you know, with my knee and my, my physical ability, I had, you know, pretty strongly considered bailing at different times during the moose hunt, thinking getting into Colorado was a fool's errand. And, um, you know, at times I think, you know, we went back and forth on whether we were going to try to pick up those leftover tags and really only had like a couple of days to figure it out. Yeah. And just to have it come out that way where it's like, 
leftover tags that maybe we should or shouldn't pick up and you know a shorter hunt than what we would have wanted to ideally like man the punchline is like you can't kill them if you're not out there and it uh you know we got out there and you got a good buck on the ground <laughs> kill them. yeah um well I, I i appreciate you being there you know every step of the way basically and um, I joked with you on the mountain, but we've got it. We've got to stop hunting together because uh, it just seems like you know the longer you hunt with Corey, the 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 worse you know the more uh, favors he stacks up against you. Um, you know, just we. I, I mean, I walked over to help him kill an elk, and we end up I end up killing the buck of my life. And so, uh, but now pre- appreciate it, man. Appreciate you being there. It was stoked man it was yeah. a fun experience on my end yeah well hopefully i didn't want, I didn't want to pack an elk out of there anyway <laughs> uh next year i'll help you with your tags and maybe you'll draw one or two uh, <laughs> so i can return them. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be awesome yeah. uh quick quick hunting story about grandpa whitwer uh this this is one of my favorite stories that he'd tell and it's 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 a short one but you know and, and just a generic kind of comment that he would always make. Uh, he would be telling a hunting story or something. The first time it happened, he was talking about some buck that they were chasing. And, um, you know, he had his old lever action 30-30 probably at the time when he was telling this, when the story happened. And he would talk about, you know, this buck that they, you know, found and they shot and killed or whatever. And then, I, th- I think I said something along the lines of, well, grandpa, how many shots did it take you? You know, just innocently asking like, well, how many shots did it take you to kill him? And he'd say something like, oh, back in my days, like we'd usually just shoot the mountain out from under him and they'd fall and break their neck. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's always been my picture. Grandpa, Whitmer, even though he was, he was a heck of a shot. Uh, you know, the guy, he would always say, you know, you give him a bucket a couple hundred yards and he'd rather have it slightly walking um, than standing still because, you know, he's just shooting offhand. And, but I, I, I think uh, as far as I knew, Grandpa was a, was a pretty good shot. So, uh, yeah, what, what a guy got me into hunting. Uh, going to be missed uh, greatly. He was a good man, good example of just good example of a lot of things to be in life. So. And a seven millimeter fan. And a seven mm fan. Man in of my heart. Yep, ran the old uh, two eighty Remington religiously, and so yeah, we'll dedicate this one to him. And and with that, we'll uh, talk to you guys on the next one. Thanks for having me on, man. All right, buddy. See ya. Hey, everybody! Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit FindingBackCountry.com.